Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County, a fun and informative look inside the lives of Orange County's best and brightest. These are people who serve their community in a meaningful capacity on KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine. Opinions expressed on this show are totally mine and do not reflect the opinions of the management of KUCI or the UC Board of Regents. For more information about Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County and other shows, please go to KUCI.org. Well, hello, Heather. Thank, hey. Thank you for coming back. Um, yeah, I was just considering just uh, wandering Ab- abandoning off. Abandoning me? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't. It's a little warm in the studio today. I don't think I dressed appropriately. I, well, it can get hotter. Well, that all depends <laughs> on you, Just remember my that. Oh, yeah. I don't think I'm dressed to impress if that's what you're getting at. But No, I um, I had to stop off and buy clothes on the way. It was a little bit ridiculous. Really? I just realized that I was having a blowout with whatever it was I was wearing, and uh-huh. um, I stopped off, and I'm so, I feel so much better. Sometimes a girl just needs to do that. So did they check you out in the dressing room? How did you, did you put your new clothes on in your car? I, mean, I how did. did this, oh, that, you did. Is that, is that bad? No, I, I mean, I've had to do that when I had a, um, a grocery store job. I would go to school, and then they had this wearing these ridiculous little outfits with exploding grocery bags as their shirts, and it's like, I'm not wearing seeing. that to school. Thank you very much. <laughs> and so um, so I, I would change behind Corona Lanes and Costa Mesa. Oh, my gosh. Uh, because You're that's in between. You didn't get pulled over and taken to jail. <laughs> well, I mean, I, if you park far enough in the parking lot, no one's going to see you. So I, I've done that. I actually figured that the best place to hide is right in front of everybody. And I didn't move my spot. And since I have good parking karma, I um, I always get a spot near the front. Really? I just put, put the shirt over the one I was wearing and then slipped the other one <laughs> There's good Down parking. There's good parking karma. I, how does this work? Oh well, I'll share those secrets with you some oh. other time. <laughs> oh, I'm sure our listeners want to know this, but well, okay. The psychology behind good parking karma is you need to drive to the front because nobody expects uh-huh. a spot to be there, and that's where where all the action is. Yeah. I just drive up there assuming that there will be one for me, and frequently I'm I'm quite pleased. I try to exercise, so I always go towards the back, and I'm like, I just want to get out of the car as soon as possible. I try to avoid exercise. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. All righty. So, okay, now that we've so, bored people to death with that. Well, I wasn't bored. <laughs> okay. I wasn't bored with me changing in the car. <laughs> no, I'm sure that was an adrenaline rush. So, okay, so we have a really important message to get out there today, and I one of the things that I love about doing this show is I get to meet wonderful new people, but I also get to introduce you, the listening audience, to some new people as well. And many of us don't really get a chance to meet some of the extraordinary people doing things that are changing our lives. But these these people do exist. Uh, we call them angels sometimes. But um, there are there are two such people in our studio today, Carol and Ty Moss, and we will find out what they have done to help improve our lives and keep us safe. And they are just a beautiful couple. 
and they are here. They are the parents of Niall Calvin Moss, and we are here today to discuss a little bit about Niall's life and his untimely passing. And the Moss family had to learn some lessons the hard way. And it's the kind of story you don't ever really want to have to tell your friends or have happened to you, but um, they lost their son to a silent killer, and we're going to share this awareness with you today because what's what happened as a result of this is is nothing short of amazing what they have done with their with their personal tragedy to help us in the state of California is quite remarkable. So welcome to the studio. Welcome to KUCI. Hi, Carol thanks so Ty. much for having us here. We really appreciate it. Oh, we're, we really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Yeah, no, we're just we're just thrilled to have you here. Um, tell us, if you will, why you're here today. We're here to bring awareness to a silent epidemic that um, takes the lives of many each year. And it does not discriminate. It does not discriminate. It's, um, but we're here to share a story of a young man that spurred uh, prevention and saving lives in the state of California and throughout the world. So we're looking forward to sharing what we've learned uh, about a challenging time in our life. And we're so thankful that uh, we have our faith to be able to stand up and share this message through incredible music and uh, do it in a way that people will enjoy an evening or enjoy an afternoon, but take in information that will make um, make this, you know, could save the lives of their family members. Of or, their loved ones, yeah. and in, in your case, your child. Um, take us back six years ago and tell us about your son. So, Niall. Niall Calvin Moss was just mm-hmm. the joy of everyone's life. Um, we have a couple pictures here that just show him, but this is... He was always smiling from the moment he was born. Um, Niall loved to sing and dance on stage. He was an incredible. Uh, he'd just begun to play the piano. And throughout his life, he traveled the world. He loved to travel. Um, he loved the simple things. He'd wake up in the morning and he'd say, it's going to be a great day. At the end of the day, he'd get off the bus and he'd say, I had such a great day. He was just a really positive, yeah, positive kid. There's this neat picture of him in the pumpkin patch. I, um, I'm pretty sure it's the one over here, um, the the uh, Tanaka Farms one, where all the kids get their photos yeah. yes. around around Halloween time. Everything was an adventure to him. You know, yeah. going to Target was an adventure. <laughs> Yes. Oh, wow. These are beautiful pictures. Well, depending on the target, it can be an adventure. That's right. <laughs> yeah, because they, they changed the direction of those targets. Yeah, he was open for anything. He loved to visit with people. He loved to be around his family and, uh, you know, meet new people. And uh, always an inspiration to so many people, Just, just being there. Yeah, he just had a special way. Had a special yeah. th- had a yeah. special aura about him. What what happened to Nile? So Nile was uh, 15 years old, and he'd gone in for an annual series of tests in a in a major hospital here. And um, he came out of the hospital after having these tests. It wasn't anything evasive. It was just MRI, CAT scan, and then visiting with several doctors. And mm-hmm. Nile was a healthy young man, very strong. Um, in any event, he returned to school. And just a few days after he returned in April, um, we were on a field trip. And um, he said, Mom, I have a headache, which was very unusual for him. He wasn't, he wasn't one that you know had, had any kind of thing like that. So this was on Good Friday. 
uh, the day before Good Friday in 2006. So we got him home from the field trip, and um, on Friday he didn't go to school. And then on Saturday morning, he woke up with a slight fever. So we took him to um, the local children's hospital, and they tested him real quick. You know, when you go to the doctor's office, they test you real quick to see if you have strep throat with like a rapid test. And, right. and they said, no, don't, you don't, he doesn't have, doesn't have uh, strep throat. So we'll go ahead and uh, write a prescription, an antibiotic, and, um, and he should be good. He had a fever. And uh, just so we classic simple just symptoms that sometimes simple. we as parents, just, yeah. that, just like say. I could easily hear one of my kids saying I have a headache and then me telling him, oh, common, just go to bed. Yeah. Very common <laughs> yep. symptoms. Yeah. Nothing so unusual. It, it looked like he had a touch of the flu is what it looked like. He looked like he had the flu. He didn't have the runny nose, but he had the fever. So we returned back to our home and that night his fever went to 104 and a half. Oh my. And we quickly got him in the bathtub and we were able to get his, uh, his fever down to 99 and the next morning was easter and he woke up at about five in the morning and and he was wheezing you could hear him go (gasps) wheezing like that wheezing and he'd never had any respiratory problems or anything and he wakes up with a big smile he says do you have something waiting for me out there you know he was ready for his easter egg basket yeah so because of the wheezing we said we better get him back down to the doctors quickly because this didn't sound right so, you know, naturally things go slow when you get to the doctors on the weekends. It was Easter weekend. You had kind of um, the, the B team or C team. Nobody was moving quickly. And uh, they started giving him a little bit of uh, albuterol to in, open in the lungs. doctor's office. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to open his lungs to help him breathe easier. And it wasn't helping. And so we had an x-ray. And as soon as the technician took a picture and saw the picture, he said, you need, you need to get back over to the doctor's office quickly. And um, what he'd seen was necrotizing pneumonia, meaning he had oh seen what what had been caused from what we later found out to be MRSA. Hmm. So that day, it was Sunday, and, um, you know, we checked him in at about 12, and he didn't get in his room till about 4. And the whole time, he couldn't breathe. He couldn't breathe. They weren't moving quick enough. They weren't moving fast enough. Um, the doctors there were just, uh, they just looked at it like, I don't even, you know, he's just, we're giving him oxygen. He should be fine until he got to the point where they couldn't give him any more oxygen until they moved him into the pediatric ICU. Mm. So when he was in the pediatric ICU, they sent in a doctor from another hospital. It was Easter. And, uh, we, you know, we obviously disrupted his Easter celebration. And his comments were, oh, I don't even know why they brought me in here. He's not that bad. Looking oh, at looking at the, the numbers on uh, some of the equipment there. And uh, sure enough, about an hour and a half later, he was um, in he was in distress. Resp- respiratory distress, and there was really nothing. Uh, the whole time, I kept asking, "Can you please give him antibiotics? Can you give him something stronger? Can you give him something stronger?" And they really waited for about four hours until he got his first bit of antibiotics. Hmm. Um, this is the point I, I want to raise as I'm sharing this with you: is that had I known about MRSA, which we did not. Had I known so about people it, did at the time. I would have demanded yeah. that they give him antibiotics. I would have demanded a lot of things. So what happened that night was uh, by about 11 o'clock that night, um, he, there's nothing they could really do for him. They kept him on a respirator. And um, it would that was moving all that they faster could do. had made a difference? Absolutely. For him? There were, it was four, over four and a half hours before he got an antibiotic. And um, he only got about 20 minutes or a half an hour of antibiotics before before he um, 
he just could no longer breathe. His heart stopped because of what happened. So wow. what we learned um, that next day was that um, um, when you go home from the hospital without your child, um, you, you just there's just unbelievable things that, you know, you want to know what was this. And so I was told that, it, and Ty and I were told that it was um, MRSA. And I said, well, what's MRSA? It's MRSA. It's it's methicillin resistant Staphylococcus aureus. You know, in layman's terms, it's a staph infection that's right. resistant to the illins, all the penicillins. Mm. It's resistant. So when you hear of a loved one that's been in the hospital or has a sore that has been treated, oh, it's just a staph infection that won't go away. In most cases, it's MRSA, but it's they won't tell serious. you. They won't tell you. But what if you're allergic to penicillin? Like, uh, for example, I, I am. So if I had that, would it would see other treatable way? Um, there's only one that really stops the effects of MRSA, and that's vancomycin. Okay. And yeah, know that's yeah. the only one. Had um, so t- to move forward on on to so so on penicillin, they would know not to give it to you because hopefully your records would say yeah. you're allergic. So am I. So, but it was resistant to that. So that's how you can tell if they doctors say that oh you just have a staph infection. Well, just have a staph infection is uh, is is uh, not there's not a just. Right. <laughs> In other words, it's not something to to sound or to make lightly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. It's. Well, it was deadly in, in Niall's case, um, and we really was unprepared for for that, and uh, we were unaware. It sounds like the hospital was. was, too. Yeah, and you'd be surprised, uh, as we've learned more over the, over the years uh, about MRSA, and we talk to more and more people about MRSA, uh, and people that work in the medical profession that we talk to, that really have a varied opinion about what it is, how it's treated. And um, and the interesting fact is, is that there's over 100,000 people a year that die from MRSA, we come to find out. And there's over 2 million people a, in each year, this is documented information, that uh, contract MRSA. Maybe, in hospitals. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. 2 million that are known to that are known. That's, that's right. right. That's that, exactly right. That had MRSA. So that statistic would probably from be From the CDC. Far... Those are facts from the CDC if you yeah. go to their website. Okay. But that's that number would be far higher if they were to actually tell you what you had when you... Right. Right. One right. of the things that we found out over time was that the... Um, there's no... At the point, at this particular time, that now died... There really wasn't any reporting, you know, in of infection rates. The uh, hospitals were not required to report the infection right. rates. Exactly, and um, so therefore, you know, any information that you would get was, you know, really flawed anyway. So again, that was a big thing that we wanted to to work on to make sure that we could get to the bottom line find out exactly what hospitals had high infection rates. Maybe mm-hmm. you don't want to go to those hospitals. Maybe mm-hmm. maybe it's your local hospital. Maybe you have an option. Mm-hmm. So that, so that you, was our, our point. You became um, a, an educated consumer the hard way and saying, exactly. that, hey, had we had some knowledge, we would have gone elsewhere. That's right. It, 
Do you find now looking back that there would have been a place you could have gone locally that would have known? Oh yeah, your doctor, your pediatrician, your um, your general doctor has better has, has all of this information has better to share information than um, than what the hospital had to offer at the time. Well, I think that six years ago. Um, there weren't so many cases that were brought out in the public to say what MRSA was. And so we found out about it by simply, I just went on Google the day after this happened. I went on Google. I said MRSA, and two things came up. Consumers Union, the Consumer Reports, those people who post, you know, publish the magazine with mm-hmm. toasters and safety precautions. They right. are focused on good health care in hospitals now. And uh, a campaign manager by the name of Lisa McGifford, who was running a campaign that said, stop hospital infections. And then the other one that came up was called Cephed, and it was a rapid test. So I began to start to delve into this. Ty and I started to do just unbelievable research, and we found out that that rapid test was available and being used in many hospitals. Was it being used in the hospital that you were in? No, and it's still not. And you're talking about... We're not going to name hospitals here today. We're, we're, we're in you're talking County. about a major hospital major in children's County hospital. where you would take your child to be taken care of in a special way because you would expect that they would have special expertise right. to deal with children. Right. And so you, 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 just, you just said, and they're still not? They're still not. Um, is there a resistance? I've even think? met with an infection control person that runs that there, and it still requires over... 48 to 50 hours to get a test, and people don't have that kind of time. Had Niall been tested on Saturday when I took him in, when he got that strep test for strep, Mm -hmm. had he been tested then, my son would be alive today. And that test was available then. It only takes 72 minutes. That's what the VA hospital does today. Hmm. They are an excellent example of knowing the problem. So for prevention in VA hospitals, you walk in, there's a red line. You don't go past the red line without having a test for MRSA. Was that going on six years ago? That had begun, but now it's going it's, on it's almost throughout. Like a, they, wow. they saw the difference, and they do it with rapid testing. So within 72 minutes, you don't go anywhere in that hospital knowing that you could or could not have MRSA. Um, so they put you, if you do have it, and you're going to the Bay Hospital, they simply put you in an area that others have it, and they treat you for that, and they treat you for the the issue that you've come in for 30 percent of us walk around with these bacteria and um MRSA on us today but we're healthy people and we're able to fight it off yeah well you know what you see today and so we're kind of backing into this but what you see today in a lot of hospitals in a lot of areas you see a lot of a lot of uh, posters and things that say hey make sure you wash your hands it's 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 as simple as that in a lot of in a lot of particular Environments, just a matter of washing your hands, making right. sure that you're not uh, carrying, you know, this bacteria from one person person to to the other. Right. So it's very important. Yeah, just to share some of the ideas um, of what we learned. You know, so what we learned was um, years ago when you go into a hospital, they would wash you from head to toe. Like with betadine or yeah. um, with, oh, I can't remember that, big green soap. The big green, yeah. Fizohex. Yeah. yeah. So now they call it chlorhexidine I soap. D- I think they decided that caused birth defects and stuff. Well, chlorhexidine it. doesn't. Yeah, chlorhexidine doesn't. And um, so, so things like that, when we found out that you could actually give yourself MRSA, if you have it on your skin and they surgically open your skin and your skin is not clean, 
you can actually infect yourself. So because you're a carrier, and then you and then you open up your skin and pass it to yourself. That's right. Well, you know, it's interesting. My son just had a skin knee today, and you know, I think about these things differently now. Um, as a parent, you know, I, something you said just terrified me, Ty, when we were sitting out there waiting to come on the show. Is you were, uh, we'll get back around to this, um, but we'll talk a little bit more about this as we get on to what um, Niles Project is doing now, moving forward in terms of information. But you talked about it being in athletic departments in school and on AstroTurf. And so those are things that if you don't think um, you're going to be visiting a hospital anytime soon, so therefore you shouldn't worry about it, um, it's, like you said, it's everywhere. And in Niall's case, he just got it probably touching something, you know, like all kids do, um, walking through the walking through the room on a, on the way to his medical exam. Well, he actually was in the hospital on the MRI table for several hours, and we believe that that's probably where he picked it up, because we found out that in hospitals, they sterilize and clean all over, just not M- the equipment. But they don't replace the padding. Oh goodness! MRSA lives in the padding, in the beds, in the pads, and that's what they don't change. And we've talked to several radiologists that have said there are slits in these pads. They're infected. People, The sickest people come into the MRI tables. So this is where we really believe because we've heard of so many other cases. And that's where he spent a lot of time that day in the hospital. But very much like what you said, it could be on the rails, on the button, on the elevator. Mm-hmm. It is on the poles. And we know for a fact that doctors don't change their lab coats. Right. We Going think patient they, to patient. Some of them wear them for months. And that's where they're carrying a lot of it. They carried on the stethoscope. So that's important when people know when they come in and they're wearing that stethoscope and they touch you, you should ask them, did you just wash your stethoscope? And you have every right to ask them because he probably or she just touched three or four people that could have MRSA. On their skin. On their mm-hmm. skin. <clears throat> Same thing with the blood pressure cuffs in the VA hospitals that we were talking about. You, they take your blood pressure and they throw Disposable. your blood pressure away. Cuff. They throw the cuff oh, away. Oh, really? And, and the v- That's right. In the VA hospitals, when you're in isolation... If you have MRSA, they have a stethoscope hanging on the wall. It's your very own stethoscope. These are how things are transferred. And these are easy things that you can do to protect yourself and your family just by saying, would you mind cleaning that blood pressure cuff? Right. Do you yeah. think they have a a profit motive as to, it's cheaper just not to do that stuff? Because it's, it's totally uh, more expensive to keep throwing away equipment or yeah, so. Absolutely. The CDC did a, um, a study about two years ago, and they said, what is the true cost of hospital infections? $45 billion a year. That's a $45 billion business. Unfortunately, yeah. that's what it is. Yeah. And the CDC has the best practices in writing how to prevent infections, but few hospitals have implemented these Practices Is it because they haven't been compelled to or they just didn't know they needed to? I mean, what's the real these, story behind this? The real story is all of these hospitals are very aware of hospital-acquired infections. They're very aware of what they need to do to prevent them. This is kind of ahead of the curve, but what we realize, we realize that a CEO of a hospital needs to be embarrassed so that he, can provide, he or she can provide the tools that those caregivers need, the funding that they need 
to prevent these infections because it's widely known how to prevent them. Now, if you're just tuning in with us today, you're listening to Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County. And in the studio with us, we have Ty and Carol Moss. They are the directors of Niles Project. It's a it's an awareness campaign to get the word out about a silent hospital superbug known as MRSA, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus aureus. <laughs> you did that good. That was good. <laughs> my, hus- my husband, who's a retired physician, he said, you know, you're just better off not saying it. <laughs> That's right. Because most people don't want to talk about it. That's for sure. I said, well, I have to at least try to say it once. I completely bundled it last week. That was good. But um, all kidding aside, um, Ty and Carol have devoted the last six years of their life. Uh, There's there's nothing you can do here that will bring Niall back. But um, they have dedicated themselves to this cause of awareness so that people like you and me don't have to go through the pain that they have suffered and it's really important that um, that we spend a little time to listen about this because what we do for ourselves could also um, end up in bringing about good habits where we can help others as well. Um, I'm thinking about the skin. Mm-hmm. The skin is just a miracle protector for so many things, but it is. I never thought of it as a carrier. Yeah. You know, I thought of it as the thing that protected me uh, from the outside world. But when you think about it, it's it's amazing that it can live on our skin without actually getting to us, but then we could pass it on to somebody else who has an open wound. Um, yes. Do they talk about what some of the more common ways as you're doing this, what some of the more common ways this is um, transmitted are? And maybe you can delve into some of the different areas um, of life that that we would, as sure. as individuals, would encounter. Sure. Um, well, you've seen and heard probably within schools as well, um, there have been several schools that have been closed closed for cleaning when they realized that they had students that had MRSA. The The cause of MRSA and the spread of MRSA is, is simply from people. And it's, it's something where cleanliness is critical. So to eliminate the possibility of spreading this germ, it's just like any other germ. Um, and so when you think about um, how you spread it, you could get it from a hug or a handshake on the playground or in the gym. So there's lots of ways that we can share with everybody to, you know, alert them to this is these are these are best practices for your kids at schools or even, you know, all of the adults in gyms. It's really important. Does the hand sanitizer work? It does. It does help. Um, you can overuse you can overuse the um, hand sanitizer because you can actually over dry your your skin in your hands and crack your skin and that's how things get in right so you have to the best thing is hand washing with soap and water and warm water so hand washing with soap and water gets rid of MRSA well that's a way to prevent the spreading of it okay so it's also on clothes it's um it's in the environment so it's um it can be anywhere from uh you know they've done tests where they've shown it's in your car so you keep your car clean where you touch things oh, that's going to be it's, hard for me it's important it's it's you know it's, you know, even it's on all airplanes. It's, it's an ongoing effort really uh, our whole campaign is to just bring awareness to people that this is out there this can happen to you and we've had many many people that's come to us uh, over the last few years that have told us of, of situations within their own family um, and you know the whole idea is, is awareness as long as you know you read, you know, everyone needs to educate themselves, obviously, but uh, our our goal is to, to get the word out any way that we can. If we can share it, 
like on your program here, which is great. Yeah. We've done it uh, many different, within many different uh, speaking engagements that we both participated in, as well as uh, through concerts, myself being a musician. Uh, we've put together concerts uh, where we've brought in uh, people to share information about MRSA during the concerts, and that's been, been a big it's been a, a big advantage so for a lot you, of families. You have come up with this unique proven approach, and let's talk a little bit about that because that's what makes that's what makes this journey really special. Okay, all right. So, so we started um, actually we started a school in San Diego where um, my sister in law Stacy said, "Can you come in and share with our students um, all about Nile and MRSA because they knew Nile." And she kind of kicked off a, a revolution here as it relates she to... She didn't know what she was starting. No, did she, she didn't, but she's fantastic. Um, and so uh, in that in that school, it was a very affluent school, she had um, 90% of the kids, their parents were in the medical field. Oh, and when she there were 60-something people in the room, and she asked them, raise your hand and let us know how many of you have heard this or talked with your parents about it. And two people raised their hands. So, so you're saying, wait, 90% of the families, you said, were medical families because of the geographic location of where they yep. were living. And only two people raised their in hands. In one class only. Were, were these the children or the parents? These were, these were all the students. All the students. And their parents were in healthcare of some kind. They oh, were in wow. either physicians or surgeons or radiologists. And none of them um, really spent the time to talk with their kids about it. So, and this was uh, like five years ago, five and a half years ago. So mm-hmm. she was the first one to start. And we began uh, to see what we needed to do to help with the curriculum. Because what, we, what we'd like to do is have MRSA awareness and, and um, infection prevention in the curriculum of schools. Just, just like they learn about sex education and everything else. Because these are things that they'll be dealing with. On the rest of their life. This so, could fall under the category yeah. of hygiene, personal exactly. hygiene, you know. Right. And so she's the PE teacher there. She does the golf tournaments and all that. So she's got health. So it was a perfect platform there. So we went on from there and uh, we had some friends over at Saddleback College and they really wanted to support us. So we pulled together um, our next concert, which was at the uh, Saddleback um, Fine Arts Department. And what was great is that the radio station was really on board with this. So they'd have us in for multiple interviews before the concert. And um, it really brought back a lot of uh, conversations, people calling in. They wanted, they had questions. They wanted to hear about it. And so we were advertising this to be shared at the concert. And what was great is that um, we included the healthcare department there, the nursing school. They were actually seating uh, many of the guests with their stethoscope, and they'd sit down and hand them our 15 steps of how to prevent infections. And we, we were standing by the door when people left, and there were two doctors that left, and they said, we had no idea of this. And I've been a physician for many years in another state. We were never made aware of this before. So Made aware that it's in hospitals or made aware that, that it's... it kills. Oh, oh. They had no idea that it kills. Hmm. They, okay, so now that brings up a really interesting issue. And we're doing a bit of bouncing, but I think we need to. That takes us back to um, the issue of reporting. When you say they don't know that it kills, is it because when they discuss MRSA, they're not really discussing... Are we getting a call? 
We're getting a call. I can go get that real fast. Continue. Well, um, I was going to say, should we should we see if it's somebody that's interested or? Oh, just continue. Okay, so. Um, so they don't one of the things that you've raised with me raised with me in discussing this is um that you don't they don't come right out and say it that's right that's right um we realized in talking with people who were victims that had actually gotten MRSA um that went to the doctor and then went home without being educated and then they spread it to their family we realized that this is something that really needed to end we we had no idea that it needed to be a law to make sure that physicians educated patients about this. So um, when we decided to participate and decided to start a movement of more safety, patient safety, um, that was one of the comments that we continually heard was that was I was sent home with an infection. I had no idea what it was. Wow. And was it in their opinion that later they knew that the uh, medical profession that was servicing them knew what it was, but just didn't have the uh, ability to treat it? No. They all knew what it was. It's very clear when they get a report back, but typically they'll say, you just got a, a mild staph infection. In this, in this one particular case, she was told that it was the plate in her foot that was infecting her. So there, there are many times people aren't told the full story and so that they're unable to be prepared to protect their family. Well, so they were um, they were not told the full story of what the staph infection was or the person telling them wasn't really fully aware of, of the scope they of were, the problem. The, the, phys- physical, the facility never educated them on what they had mm. and how to prevent, how to protect their family from spreading it around and how serious it is. I see. Were they given proper treatment so that they could resolve the infection? Many of them, the infections really lasted too long. Um, they could have been treated much more aggressively. Um, today, many physicians don't want to use vacamycin, and so they use topical antibiotics that take a very long time to heal. Um, vancomycin, you say, is the is the one uh, antibiotic that can that can that can help with that can mercy. save your life. So, so, what would be the resistance to using vancomycin? Well, there's a couple things. It's it's very strange that um, MRSA has become just one of those four letter words, but it's fourth so you know four letters mm-hmm. that um, doctors just don't want to talk about, and they um, many of them won't use vancomycin because they feel that the the it's not serious enough to use it because you, it could cause a problem with hearing, which is one of the one of the the uh, challenges. However, they're not taking MRSA seriously enough, as that as a physician told us in the concert. They, he said he never knew that they that MRSA could kill. So, um, so if you're just tuning in to us, this is Kimberly Martin's Real People of Orange County. We have with us in the studio Ty and Carol Moss, and um, they are teaching us and educating us about MRSA, methicillin-resistant staphylococcus I was good until I get to that part. Um, but I do want to encourage calls if they come in for the purpose of this show, if anybody sure. has a question that they'd like to ask Heather's um, Yeah, the, the, the number is 949-824-5824 if you have a question about this particular topic. or They're an excellent uh, couple to talk to about it. Um, so... That really means the problem is bigger. When you come up with resistance over something that's just common sense, what is a couple left to do when that happens? And you 
took this a step further. Not only did you have an awareness campaign that you begun and continue to run, but you really had to take this a little further to be heard. Well, um, you know, Ty and I just wanted to do something. And so in reaching out um, to Consumers Union, we, you know, we said, how can we, how can we be a part of the solution? And so in working with their campaign, you know, in many states, they had been successful in implementing public reporting of hospital infections in different states. Why was public reporting so important? Because in order to understand the size of a problem, you need to see you need to see the numbers. You need to you need to know how many people are going into that hospital and getting infections. Okay. And and why why do you think that wasn't implemented before then? Transparency. I think it's um, because hospitals will be looked at in a way that we look at toasters and and uh, the way that we look at cars. Oh. Who's doing a good job? I see. Who's got a high infection rate? Where do I want to send my best friend? So not only, it's no longer the situation where a hospital just services a geographic patient base the way it has been in the past, but you're saying that bringing this type of consumer awareness will educate you to make a choice as to where you'll want to go and that hospital could potentially lose money. That's right. Exactly and hence, right. customer consumer awareness will drive improvement in patient safety um, by your choices. Are there, are there local hospitals that are doing a good job now? Um, I think that the numbers are new. Um, what Do you mean the data gathering? The data numbers? gathering is okay. new. It's, okay. a, it's a very big job. I think that what, it, what has happened, and just to backtrack just a little bit, um, Consumers Union introduced me to um, the ability to participate as a speaker for the state of California. So I am now on a um, governor-appointed committee that meets in Sacramento that is with the top hospitals in our, in our state that votes for you and me and everybody here on what can we do to prevent infections in hospitals. They want to implement best practices on this issue. Right, and it wasn't until I attended the second meeting did I realize that we needed to go out and implement a new law because we saw that each person at this table worked for the hospitals that did not want disclosure. When, when you said we, you pointed to you and your husband. You really mean we as in the two of you. Well, we do everything together, but I was at the physically but you know, I, but person I meant, at the desk. I meant just two average everyday people well, that that's right. you know, the um, fact had that to do something because it wasn't going to be done in that, exactly on that committee. Right. Because those people ran hospitals. Right. I see. And Carol was appointed to the committee and the only person out of 32 people that was a consumer. All the rest were some way associated with the hospital in or hospital the medical association. association. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of doctors and a lot of medical professionals. So again, looking at it from a consumer perspective, you know, we just felt that we felt a lot of pushback from being able to do things as you mentioned, kind of normal processes that you would think everyone would want to would do. want to do yeah you'd think all the motivations should be there yeah, but exactly. but and yet they're not so we were very surprised to see that there was a lot of pushback <laughs> and uh in the in the meeting that you attended did yeah. you experience yeah. that yeah and then so when you decided to go out and push for legislation legislative changes um you were on your own weren't you well Absolutely. except with the exception of 
Um, Consumers Union. Yeah. Okay. And our and God. I mean, we just walk by faith every day. So we just knew this was the right thing to do. Consumers Union has uh, many, many people that support them. And we then set out to find who was the right legislative you know, leader that could do this for us. And we found two, um, Senator Dean Flores and Senator Elaine Alquist. She has made patient safety her number one priority throughout her um, legislative term. She's been fantastic. And, and tell me where we are today with that. So we've made great progress. Our legislation legislation was approved in 2009, January 1. That date, hospitals had to begin reporting infection rates. They had to submit the information to the Department of Health, and that's the California Department of Health out of Sacramento, where they would begin to gather the data. And then two years later, in 2010, the first public report was made public to all of us. Now, um, do we do we think that their collection of data is up and running enough so that they are able to report accurate numbers, or are those numbers uh, maybe skewed because they haven't gotten those pra- practices implemented in the hospital yet? I, th- I think what's happened is, and what we've seen, which is incredible, are that hospitals have had to change the way they care for people. So regardless of the numbers, we see that they're they are changing the way they do business in a preventative mode because part of the legislation before our legislation was you must implement these preventative measures. And then our legislation would show how is it working. So, so today, they really, yeah, yeah. They, they really didn't have much of a uh, – they weren't really compelled before they actually had to report their, their actual report card. That's right. That's why we That's knew right. we needed to put this, we needed to make this a law. So within the law, there's many things. There are things like, as I shared, doctors must educate a patient with uh, handheld information, handouts, if you have MRSA, and you need to be told within 24 hours. High-risk patients must be um, swabbed and tested for MRSA before they go in, and if they test negative, they must be tested on their way out. This is critical, and this is one of the biggest things that we want people to be aware of. It's in place to protect you. So you go in knowing if you have it, and you come out knowing if you have it. Now, if you were to contract it in the hospital in such a short amount of time for a visit such as the one that Niles, Niall um, had, that you would know pretty quickly? Well, in Niall's case, this is the one area that we really want to work on. This legislation is only for outpatient, so you have to be spending the night. And in Niall's case, he just went in for testing. This is critical that we um, add this to the law, and I know that there's some more work that's being done for outpatient. In fact, this last year there was an amendment that was added that included ambulatory um, facilities. So that means outpatient. Correct. Um, Half of these ambulatory are monitored and, and managed by the California medical board and the other half is the department of health so um they're a little behind in specifying who manages it but that's great news because that means that outpatient will now be monitored for um infections and patient harm where they would never were before so it's an add-on to the piece of legislation that we worked on and and that will be implemented that um, will be implemented started right away. I'm not sure when the reporting starts, but I know that immediately they're starting to collect the information and that um, those <coughs> listeners today that 
ever go into these ambulatory, you know, outpatient surgeries. That means um, anything having to do with plastic surgery. Plastic surgery. Many people that get that many people um, have had problems getting MRSA when they have plastic surgery. Those places they'll have um, they'll soon we should have a list to identify who is managing who's the escalation point if you have patient harm. Right, right. You know, I'm reading uh, a portion of the legislation. I copied it for my notes. And at the bottom of it, it says, a violation of these provisions is a crime. Exactly right. Is that typical in legislation? It depends on yeah. the legislation. But this is how strongly Senator Alquist felt about this. And and by um, by the mere fact that every hearing that we went to, it was there was one absentee. Everything was unanimous. Uh, it was bipartisan. This legislation was so strongly affecting every family that we 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 received votes that were unheard of. Did you? That is remarkable. Um, did you have to tell your personal story? We did many times, and then many we brought times. in we brought in other survivors that shared their unbelievable stories as well. And those are people that help support the support um, the Niles Project. Um, before we have to go, I want to talk a little bit about these concerts. Okay. Um, you get your big, biggest smiles come across yeah. your face when we bring the topic of music back into the subject, and I just love that. That is, uh, Ty, that's going to be your legacy that you pass on is is learning about a really difficult topic through something that you really love. You're a jazz musician. That's right. You know, uh, Niall loved music. He had that um, ability to not be, you know, shy you know he loved <laughs> to, to get in front of a crowd and anytime there was an opportunity for him to to sing or participate in music he was there to do that so we always had a lot of musicians around a lot of friends that play music around and um, you know so after Nile passed one of the things that we did uh, which helped us heal was to go into studio we spent about seven months in the studio just putting music together from a lot of musicians so basically what we said was there's no real right or wrong about the music you know whatever the musicians that came in to participate all knew Nile and we just said whatever you want to do just come in and express you know, your feelings and put it let's put it down and make it work together and that's what we did we spent uh, about seven months doing that and then from that as we started to talk about Nile and different different opportunities to get in front of the uh, public, you know, we decided that it would be a good opportunity to, to put some music together and to allow the music that we had already had, but to, to, to share that music with the audience and also to share the message. And that's how we kind of got started with doing concerts, and um, and we like you know, we like to continue that. So uh, the whole point is awareness, and, um, you know, it's not about making anything happen other than the fact it's a share. We, we like we like the, that we have people that are willing to participate with us in the, the concerts. And so you would be open to any of our listeners if they were interested in holding such a concert, an awareness concert. It's all about the music. And Absolutely. it's all about... Uh, the joy of being together and celebrating that music, but there's a part of the a part of these um, these concerts that you do where you do give out awareness to people. Let's um, let's take the last few moments that we have here to talk a little bit about the 15 steps. If you go to 
the website nilesproject.com. When you visit there, there is a handy um, guide you can print out. It's a pocket guide. Actually, there are two of them. One of them is the 15 steps that you can do to re- reduce the risk of getting a hospital infection. And these are um, these are the steps that you take if you're going to be in a hospital or in that environment um, where you think you might have increased exposure. And then the other pocket guide is um, a student's guide for reducing their risk of getting MRSA. And let's talk about some of these. Um, Fortunately for me, I came into an introduction with Carolyn Ty at just the right time. My grandmother was going in for open heart surgery, and um, we were getting together the organization of doing this show, and uh, Carol was kind enough to sit and take the time to walk me through all the things that I would want to do to provide and to um, and to uh, prepare my loved one before she entered the hospital to have, you know, a pretty invasive surgery. So um, let's go through some of these really quickly if we can. Sure. Sure, there's some very important ones on there that you'll uh, be able to see if you go ahead and print it out off the uh, website. But one of them is... And that website address is? www.nilesproject.com. Cool. So um, ask your doctor to have an antibiotic before the surgery. Many doctors give it to you the day of and just shortly before. Um, What we've learned from the top epidemiologists is that prevention is much more prepared um, if that's a day in advance. And then um, years ago, before you'd go in the hospital, nurses would clean you from head to toe so that you would make sure that you didn't have anything from the outside world in around other patients or in to harm you. So before you go in for, for a couple of days, Wash yourself head to toe with um, Phyzohex, uh, and Chlorophene, and Chlorohex, is it, what's it called? Chlorhexidine. I say it all the time. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> Chlorhexidine. Um, wash well, what yourself. What's the reason that they don't do it for you anymore? Uh, they're busy. Uh-huh. When I talk to... Uh, I, they're busy. When I talk to somebody at uh, a well-known hospital up in L.A., when I said, what would it take Why, you know, while you're putting in the robotics... To manage all the other things, how about if the patients have a bath from head to toe before they are in their bed, um, and you know it was there wasn't enough time. So the other thing is they found that if you're kept warm, you'll have a lower uh, percentage of getting an infection. So get warm in surgery means another blanket, some little booties, maybe a little hat, and they have those things in the hospital that you can ask for in advance. Okay. Let's keep going down the list. So also, if you smoke, it's best that you stop right away um, and make sure that you're as healthy as you can be when you go in for surgery. If you, um, you should have no qualms about asking your surgeon about his infection, his or her infection rate. Um, I think it's it's one of those things that... That's it, a big one. You know, is. people, oh gosh, I have just had such a tough time. People are so intimidated to mm-hmm. confront their doctor with these tough questions. But, you know, these are it the lets things, them know yeah. that you're aware. And maybe exactly. just by letting them know that you're aware, they might be more aware on their part. That's right. That's right. Um, if ask them if possible to not give a catheter, many patients don't need to have um, a catheter after surgery. Uh, and out, you know, just let them know you don't mind getting up and going to the bathroom or using a bedpan if if required, because those uh, catheters do requ- do cause quite a few infections. One of the ones that interests me uh, is where it says, "Do not shave the surgical site." I think of this all the time. If ever I'm going to use or to go get a pedicure, I 
I know it's hard for women because we want to shave our legs, <laughs> stick our feet in that water, and then come out perfect with our toes perfect and then our legs shaved. And you don't want to embarrass yourself with hairy legs um, <laughs> when you're having somebody <laughs> massage your legs. But I'm I'm one of those gals that don't doesn't shave before I go because I don't want to do anything to nick my skin. I want to stay protected. And I was just giving my daughter this advice uh, just yesterday, and here it is on one of your things. But that's you really do expose yourself when you're basically scraping the hair off that's of your right. skin. That's right. And really, this is best practices. They should they should be using clippers, and that way, it doesn't rip your skin open. It doesn't cut off the top part of your skin. Right. Clippers, as you would shave your you know shave your hair, or rather than an actual razor. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Any others on this list that we should? Um, What's really important is that, you know, maybe that's not even on this list. When when everybody needs to know, when they go into the hospital for surgery, there really is no small surgery. People need to think about every surgery as being very critical because we know of many people that went in for a simple, you know, non, you know, just a very small hole in their knee and many problems came out of that. So also... Every every surgery is very critical, and you should have someone with you at all times. Never be alone in the hospital, As so that you can prevent unnecessary exposure from outside. So that's you're many times you're out, you you don't know what's going on. So you need to have someone there who cares about you, who will speak up for you. Um, and advocate for you when right. you're yeah. under general anesthesia. That's right. So you can have someone there to remember. The hospital things. does know that. I, I had a worker's comp injury, and they knocked me out with anesthesia several times to administer epidurals on my back. Mm. And I'm one of those crazy people that actually reads what I'm signing off on. Yeah. And then yeah. so um, I, one of those was like, this could be dangerous. And I'm like, mm. really? Just putting me out and shooting me with an injection in my back is dangerous? But it was. And mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a light medical procedure, but it's still, could be very, it, it yeah. could, something can complicate out of that. Yeah, yes. that's yes. exactly so, right. You know, yeah. the other thing I think it's important too, especially for us, that's Niles Project. You know, we're not doctors by any means, but bottom line is that we talk to a lot of doctors. We talk to a lot of people in the medical profession and we talk with the CDC. We talk with the consumers union and this is information that that they've shared with us this is information that's public uh, <clears throat> available right so again this is more about sharing information and for people to be aware. we and always say that take it on your own and and do some investigating uh-huh. and, right. and, and look look at this there's a lot of information now about MRSA yeah. uh, and, and other hospital-acquired infections as well. There's a lot of information available. So our, our goal is to just make sure that people are shocked enough maybe. Uh, and to, scared enough, really. And scared enough, right, to, yeah. to look into these things. Yeah, I, I'm I'm so thankful for the time that you two have given us today, and um, I direct you, the listener, to nilesproject.com. That you will find some valuable information that will help you. It is um, Niles Project is a coalition to eliminate unnecessary deaths, and I um, I thank you so much for thank giving you. in the way that you have of your time and taking what was a was a really difficult time in your life to give back in such a significant way. Well, we thank you so much. Thanks for having us. That's our appreciate pleasure. that. Okay. okay. Thank you so much. Yeah. And uh, stay tuned for Planetary Radio with Matt Kaplan. And before that, Counterspin, after this medical moment. 